Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. Today, we have Jesse Gold, founder and president of the Heroic Hearts Project, a 501c3 nonprofit pioneering psychedelic therapies for military veterans. After being deployed as an army ranger in Afghanistan three times, he founded the Heroic Hearts Project in 2017 to spearhead the acceptance and use of ayahuasca therapy as a means of addressing the current mental health crisis among veterans. The Heroic Hearts Project has raised over $400,000 in scholarships from donors, including Dr. Bronner's, and partnered with the world's leading ayahuasca treatment centers. Jesse has been recognized as one of the social entrepreneurs to watch for in 2020 by Cause Artist. Driven by a mission to help military veterans struggling with mental trauma, he is best known for his own inspiring battle with PTSD and his recovery through ayahuasca therapy. Welcome. Thank you so much. We always like to ask our guests uh, what brought them to higher medicine, and we'd love to hear your story. Can you tell us your story? Of course, and and thanks again for having me and and giving us the platform. Um, It's truly great to be able to share the stories to to different audience. Um, So as many other people in in the psychedelic or plant medicine space, it was a very personal story. that brought me here and then to found the Heroic Hearts Project. So I was in the military as an army ranger. And as you said in the bio, uh, that involved three deployments to Afghanistan. Um, And overall, I I was generally pretty fortunate. Uh, But when I got out, I was excited to go back into the civilian world and and retackle and, you know, see what I was made of. And, no, at first it started going well. And I I found a a great job in finance, uh, had a good social circle. Um, was overall very content, but the change from this high-speed ranger lifestyle to sort of the corporate world uh, really started to highlight certain issues that I was able to ignore in the past that had progressively gotten worse and worse. And so I just found myself in this in this place in, in Tampa, Florida, and I was just unhappy. And and I couldn't really understand why, because on the the third person perspective, it's I had all the check boxes of what makes you know supposedly people happy, but I just found myself with very severe anxiety. You know, panic attacks would have me uh, make me miss work, uh, depression, uh, self medicating with a lot of alcohol, and I, I just felt myself like slipping away, and I didn't understand why, and I got to this point where more days were, were unhappy than happy. And so I, fortunately the, the, the flags, the red flags started coming off or started blaring in my head. And so I, I made an effort to sort of change aspects of my life. I, I learned how, you know, new hobbies, learned how to cook. I, I exercise, I try to cut back on, on alcohol and, and all that. And I even went to the VA to try to seek help. Um, but unfortunately the VA uh, was really trying to push a lot of medication on me, which I wasn't interested in. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get over this hurdle. I was just, I just felt like I was carrying this this weight and no matter what I did, it just prevented me. Around that same time, I heard about ayahuasca. I came, uh, when I first heard about it, very skeptical. Um, I don't have, didn't have any interest in psychedelics, drug use at all. I didn't identify with that. Uh, it wasn't part of my life. And so it was kind of one of like, oh, cool. Other people are doing that. This is not for me. But 
out of necessity, it just came to this point where I knew that if I continued on the path, the unhealthy path, I would eventually, you know, end up in some place that would just continually be bad or make some sort of bad decision that I couldn't reverse. And so I took that leap of faith. Um, I bought a one-way ticket to, to Peru uh, after a lot of research. I left my job um, and found an ayahuasca retreat. And that was the, the, that's where this current history started. Uh, just it drastically changed my mind, had a huge impact on my life, um, really helped me overcome a lot of issues. And along with that, I saw all these amazing stories around me. And it was just one of those points of like, oh, this is not at all what I expected this to be. And didn't you mention when we talked that you heard about ayahuasca from a podcast and that's how you even learned about it? Yeah, exactly. Um, as probably many of your listeners know, uh, a lot of these topics, psychedelics, ayahuasca are becoming more and more in, in popular culture. And even this was back in 2016. Uh, so even then there was still, you know, you'd see it once in a while on Netflix or and uh, heard about it through a podcast, somebody was relaying their own experience. And again, it was, it was kind of the podcast itself was focusing more on the wild trip dynamic of it. Uh, and so it didn't, it was interesting, but it didn't appeal to me because I wasn't looking for a wild trip. I was looking for healing. Right. And so I, I, we have some listeners, I'm sure, that are really familiar with ayahuasca. And then we may have some that are just not sure about it at all, because we have mentioned it on the podcast, but really haven't like dove into the topic very deeply. So I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about ayahuasca and why that particular medicine was so interesting to you. Yeah, of course. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, ayahuasca uh, is indigenous to the South American Amazon region. Uh, and there's a lot of different cultures and tribes that have been using it uh, very far back. The precise state is hard to say, but it's it's part of a lot of tribes' culture uh, as medicine and as connect, connection to, to spirits and moving energies. Um, and at its basic, it is the combination of two plants, a vine and a leaf. And the vine has something called, the vine itself is called a ayahuasca. Uh, and the vine has something called an MAO inhibitor. And then the leaf, which is generally chakruna, uh, and that has the DMT. So the DMT is the psych is the hallucinogen. It's a psychedelic that sends you, you know, almost to different worlds and see all this sort of stuff. But the interesting thing about the the concoction, uh, both plants are brewed together, so it becomes this very thick uh, sort of drink that you you drink you ingest, and you'll have a psychedelic experience for about four hours. Uh, but the interesting thing is, it's the combination of those two plants that make it work. If you were just to eat the leaf with the DMT, it's not like mushrooms and you'd, you'd have that experience. You need both of them. Uh, so it's just a very interesting um, dynamic. And it's similar. It's a hallucinogenic. Uh, so it's similar. So somewhat similar to mushrooms and other hallucinogenics. Uh, each one has their own feel and their own sort of energy. Um, but ayahuasca tends to be kind of more on the, the more intense scale from a lot of people's perspective. It can change based off of people. Uh, but it tends to be a very intense experience, not all the time bad, but, uh, you know, full, uh, very emotional, very physical, uh, you know, all, all, all the things considered. Um, to, your, to your other question, at that point, I think the reason that ayahuasca appealed to me more so than other psychedelics was, like I said, 
you know, as I've said in other podcasts, I was from the dare generation. And so that was sort of ingrained, just say no. And if you take drugs across the board, you're this bad person or you're going to do bad things. And I had no issue with it personally, but I just saw a lot of other people who were very heavy in recreational drug use, whether it's cannabis or mushrooms or whatever their choice was. And I just didn't see anything good coming out of that recreational side. Um, I just saw it was kind of more of like a party thing and more escapism. And when I heard about ayahuasca and heard that it had this rich sort of cultural background and a history and then their ceremony around it. And it was just a much more um, deep uh, use of, of, of the substance that's that I think allowed my brain to slowly inch towards it being okay for me because it was less about, you know, doing a recreational drug and just escaping. It was more about at the very least sharing this culture and exploring this other culture that in itself is very fascinating. And so, you know, oftentimes I think when we talked before, I said for many months when I was struggling, I felt like a part of my brain did know this is what I needed. Uh, And so it took those months to convince the other part of my brain how to uh, (laughs) stop holding myself back. And so it was just that sort of little incremental thing of like, Oh, that's interesting to maybe if I'm in the right situation to, okay, I'm buying this ticket to Peru right now. So, so Gina and I have not had that experience yet and, and look forward to taking the journey. So can you tell us a little bit about what the retreat itself is like? I mean, are you going into the jungle? Are you, is there a house? Is there a building? Is it a tent? (laughs) Yeah, of course. And there's, like anything else, there's a lot of different flavors uh, of it. There's a lot of different experiences. And as I, I mentioned before, there are different tribes that do it differently. So if you go to Brazil, uh, Brazil has a lot of churches that integrate it, and they also have a lot of tribes versus if you do it in uh, Peru or Ecuador, each one's going to be a little bit different. Um, but and the, the way Heroic Hearts Project works is we work with some of these different ceremonies in different cultures uh, our main concern is that their their main intention is for healing and not just to make profit. They have respect for where it comes from and, and the tribes and, and the indigenous community. They do it sustainably. They do it safely. Uh, I would feel comfortable going myself. I would feel comfortable sending a veteran. Uh, but there's a lot of different ways to do it as long as people are respectful and, and have the proper training uh, and experience. And so typically, like, let's say you're going to go to Peru because that tends to be one of the more common ones right now. That's really where it sort of exploded in terms of exposure to the Western world. Um, most of them will be somewhere near the Amazon. Uh, so you'll, a lot of people go to a place called Iquitos and, you know, it's right by the uh, uh, waters that feed into the Amazon River. And you can take a boat and there'll be these very isolated retreat centers. Some are fancier than others. Some are a little bit more rustic. Uh, and you'll go there and... Um, you sign up for generally about a week nowadays, week to 10 days. And within that week, you have the opportunity to do four ceremonies and the ceremonies happen in this hut called a Maloka, which is a big round hut. And so generally during the ceremony, you'll go there at night. Um, everybody will sit around the, the shaman or the curandero who, who's leading it. Um, will have, you know, introduce you and, and kind of have a speech around it. And then everybody takes uh, a certain dosage and then, you just go back into your little side of the maloka of the hut and generally on the mattress and 
you just sit down and, and wait for it to kick in. Um, and then through that, what a lot of people are afraid of oftentimes is that there does tend to be a purging aspect uh, for the vast majority of people. And oftentimes that purging comes in the form of vomiting. Uh, it can come in many different forms, but it actually does interplay well. Like when you're in it, for a lot of people, they almost it almost is a representation of the anxiety or the bad energy or, or whatever uh, coming out of you. And then that allows you to kind of um, heal and, and, and continue on after that. So what does it feel like physically? Is there anything that that it's like that we would know? Is it like uh, tingling? Is it a, um, I don't know, is it hot? Is it cold? Yes, to, to all. Um, that, I mean, that is the, the problem with, uh, not the problem, but one of the hard spots about any psychedelic experience is that it just almost words escape it. It is beyond words. Uh, even in the feelings, our, our words are so static and the actual experience itself is, you know, almost like viewing a sun sunset. There's only so many ways you can describe it, but it's not the same. Um, and everybody's different. Everybody, every trip's different. Everybody uh, who, who drinks it is different. And so it's going to interact with you in a very unique way. So people who have other psychedelic experiences there are going to be commonalities. There are going to be, um, you know, possibly the hallucinations, some of the feelings, some of the intensity, all those will be similar. Um, and, but the, the way it feels might be different. And so for some, for myself, for instance, uh, some journeys I've been on and I'm just sweating and just profusely sweating, uncomfortable, hot stomach problems, hard for me to sit still. And then others, even within the same ceremony, all of a sudden there'll be a complete physiological change and a cool breeze. And uh, you feel like you're just on a beach or something like that. Some people blast off to space. Some people stay very grounded. Um, it can be the whole whole spectrum. Um, and But those are all the experiential things. The, the, the true benefit is and especially what we've been seeing with veterans is that through this process, whether it is a physical uh, excursion or a more mental hallucinogenic excursion is often having you address trauma and issues. So on the physical side, it'll have these intense emotions uh, where you might feel the need to cry or laugh. And it's just all, again, this purging of emotions on the, the hallucinogenic side. It can often put you in situations maybe you're a child and you have to um sort of confront some sort of trauma in your past or some sort of issue uh and it allows it to play out that story to where you can get some peace or resolution or um even just understand it from different different shoes almost like a third person uh zoom out of an experience how how many people are in that hut typically and do you know them you don't know them right yeah, so it, it, again, it depends. Um, some will cater to much bigger audiences. Some will be more intimate. Uh, the average nowadays for the the ones that are appealing to Westerners tend to be 20, 25. And then you'll have one or two shaman within the, the sort of circle. Um, some more intimate ones, you can have like five to 10. Um, and generally, it, you can go with other people, obviously, but oftentimes if you if your audience were to sign up today, it'd be a group of strangers. But by the end of the week, you'd be surprised how close and intimate you come with everybody else. 
because again, a lot of people are going there for the trauma and to to overcome things. It's not just a drug tourism thing. It's not everybody's going there to escape and you know have a pool party for for a week. It's it's really trying. People will expose uh, very deep uh, issues through this process, and you'll share your issues, and and through that combined suffering, but then also revelations, it really helps people move together and you, you get pretty close to them. Um, a lot of times when we have the means and we, we have some centers that we work with, we'll try to just do intimate veteran experiences where it'll be, you know, just 10 veterans and they're all going through this together. And again, it's a very, they might not know each other before, but it's a very close bonding situation for them. That is just so incredible that you've been able to have such a personal uh, healing experience. But we just think it's so remarkable that you, you took this personal experience that you had and then you decided to dedicate your life to helping others also share in this journey. And so I, I just I'm, I'm really interested in how, you know, it's one thing to just go do it. But then you really have now dedicated, you know, this organization, Heroic Heart. So can you tell us about kind of the drive to turning this into a nonprofit and how has this experience been to help other veterans? Yeah, of course. Um, it, it's as, as many of our lives turn out, it was far from anything I expected, but you kind of have to sometimes just figure out where the wind's pushing you. And, and the more you struggle against it, the harder it's going to be. And sometimes you just have to go down that path, even if you didn't predict it, or sometimes even if you don't necessarily want it. Um, and so, you know, to after the, 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 the other part of the story where I went through the experience, obviously I left my job and at the very least at that point in time, I knew what I didn't want to do. I knew corporate America world was not necessarily for me, um, but I didn't know specifically what was next for me. And so I was going to use some of that integration time post-retreat to continue to travel around and really reflect on what pieces weren't working in my previous life and what was I drawn to do. And so I had a lot of ideas like, oh, should I start a business? Should I just write in free time? And Fortunately, I had some savings and some time to, to spare. Uh, but after that, and after I continued to notice um, healing in myself that I couldn't just cast away as, as placebo or what have you, after I saw that and you know, still being connected to my veteran network and seeing the, the intense struggle, it almost became more and more of an obligation. Um, and at that point, I didn't know if I was unique in the veteran community. Maybe I was the only one that would help. Uh, maybe it only help, you know, one out of a hundred, one out of a thousand. But that at that point, with um, for those who don't know, there there's a suicide epidemic in the veteran community, and just massive rates of depression and PTSD. And most people who are veterans know at least a handful of of other veterans that unfortunately have taken their own lives. And so that was just an ever present and still is an ever present thing in my life. And so, as I said, when I saw, when I felt this within inside me and saw these other amazing stories, the, the, the concept that guys I know should at least uh, have the right to know about this so that they can make their own decision. Um, it wasn't about pushing this on anybody. It wasn't about um, necessarily even as, as much as it evolved today is really more about, okay, let's get this information out there. I found about it through this weird, you know, roundabout way. I had to do all the research. I had a, I had no idea if the center I was going to, you know, what their um, qualifications were. And so 
I just didn't want it to be as hard for other people who were in my footsteps and at least give them the chance. Um, unfortunately, a lot of veterans, when they get diagnosed with PTSD or other trauma, it's often looked at that they will just have to deal with this the rest of their life. It's not often viewed as something that you can uh, heal from, especially after a certain point, if, if certain therapies aren't working. And so that brings people to this almost sense of hopelessness that I will have to be on this medication for the rest of my life. I will have to keep taking these pills. And those pills can be pretty, um, can change people's lives a lot. They can, it can change, it can make them oftentimes a shell of themselves. And so this, in my mind at that point was just, hey, this is an option. Who knows how many people it can help, but I think everybody deserves the right to, you know, heal their, heal themselves mentally. Everybody deserves the right to be healthy, to be happy, or at least pursue happiness. Um, and so that obligation grew bigger and bigger to where, you know, I just couldn't ignore it. It's like, okay, well, let's do something about this. And after that, it just kind of took a life of its own. You know, I started asking other veterans and most people were for it, maybe not for them, but they're open if, if I said it worked or if I had good story about it. And then just after starting the nonprofit, figuring out I was in a small internet cafe in Columbia that only had power part of the day and just trying to make a website without any experience there. And it, uh, I don't know, just, uh, it was dominoes, you know, after that, then that worked out. I figured that out. I met the right people. And then I, I almost within a month met somebody who could help me fund a retreat. And just from there really just took the legs of its own. And now you have lots of veterans that are interested in on a waiting list, right? I mean, this is, you know, there it's definitely grown and you've been able to raise so much money, um, $400,000 already. Um, and so really wanted to make sure that our listeners understand that the money raised is actually going to help these veterans pay for these trips. So, you know, there, there is, you know, the ability that if you're a listener and you want to donate some money to help a veteran have one of these experiences, um, that that is the mission of your of heroic hearts. And that was really what drawn us that this is great, but it's expensive. And we know that to many veterans, they may not feel that this is something for them just because they feel like they can't afford it. And your organization's really saying, no, if this is a journey that you want to go on, you should be able to go on and we'll help you take that journey. So it's, we just think it's fantastic. I appreciate that. Yeah, and it's it's allow the the money we get in in terms of donations, as you said, go directly to the veterans, and it's also the support we have around them. You know, through the through our experiences, we've figured out how to prepare uh, the veterans uh, to get, so that they get the most out of it. We have integration coaches that help them get in that right mindset, that help them before and then follow up. And so, as many of your listeners will know, integration is a huge part of it. You have to put in work before afterwards. And you have to make choices that you're going to stick to. The psychedelics can help and they can be a tremendous lift, but there's still a lot that you have to take personal responsibility for. Um, and so, yeah, and the, unfortunately, we've been able to structure it. We have an amazing uh, group of volunteers and we've been trying to keep it as lean uh, with volunteers, myself included. Nobody in the organization gets gets paid through, through uh, any money that comes in. And so we try to keep it as pure as possible to where if people want to help, they know that their dollar, every single dollar is going directly to the vet um, and, and helping them get to uh, whatever these, whatever experiences that they're, they're interested and open to. 
And you've vetted all these places. That right there is a lot of time and effort to go through that and to be able to trust an organization that's already been able to send people there. Because even if Elizabeth and I would want to go, we, we there's a lot of education. I mean, we've been meeting a lot of people in the space. So we're hoping that we'll you know get some recommendations and know where to go. But it can be extremely overwhelming to do all of that research and the fact that you've already done that and that um, veterans have a safe place that they know that these these retreat centers have already been vetted by your organization, I think is also just an amazing tool that you're offering. Yeah, I appreciate it. So can lay people come to your site? Can, you know, I mean, I know it's for vets, but you have like, you've done the work. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, I've, I've had people, you know, as, as we get busier, you know, it might, might take me a while to, to get out to people, but if I, if I can help and I, I have the time and ability, you know, I, I try to lend, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to hoard any intellectual property. We're all about helping people by whatever means. And so I've had people who are not necessarily veterans who are just looking for uh, uh, suggestions or they're, they're asking about a specific spot if I had experience there or what have you. And when I, when I have the ability, I, I do always try to help as much as possible. Our, our financial grants, unfortunately, are right now all for, for veterans just because, as you, as you mentioned, we have such a huge demand. And that's what we, we have to you know, focus our attention on. So it's, it's, we can't leave today without uh, talking about this historical vote that happened in the House and that uh, cannabis was decriminalized in the House. We still got to make it through the Senate, but it is historic, a historic day. And just wondering, will that do anything for the VA and for vets now? Um, or does it have to get through the Senate and be federally decrimmed in order for vets to have access? Yeah, I was uh, I was actually reading an article before uh, hopping on this this podcast, and one of the commenters was saying, "Of course, the the the, the devil's in the details, right?" And that really is it. And so there's been similar sort of bills uh, in the past, and you know, different headwinds. At the very least, it shows a shifting tide in, in terms of Americans' perception on these things. You know, going mm-hmm. from the 40s, 50s, where they thought cannabis would make you be, you know, like a bank robber, murderer, or something, to where we're actually finally realizing that there is medicinal value, and and the worst case scenario really is not that bad. You know, Denver's not on fire uh, currently, and we're 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 seeing that people can actually have some amazing benefits from these sort of things. So obviously it still has to pass, but the devil, uh, the, the details are really going to matter because the limiting factor with the VA right now is that it is a schedule one drug. And so just because it's decriminalized, if it's federally schedule one, there's other laws that sort that, that limit funding and that limit the VA's access to it because it is a federal institution. So we have to kind of see how that works out, but at the very least it's a stepping stone and if on that federal level, on some level, that it's decriminalized, that means that eventually it's we're going in the right direction. And then okay. on that on that side, the question is going to be: we really need to focus on how do we use this in therapy? How do we train the therapist to use this effectively? So we're not just unloading cannabis without any sort of guidance or any sort of effective means to use it. So if it's descheduled too, 
does that allow um, the VA, because it's a, you know, a federal institution to let vets use cannabis, let's say it's descheduled, even in a state where maybe it's not legal yet? Because is there a protection? Do you know? Maybe. I, I, I wouldn't know, but I, I would imagine if um, if they're able to do it, if they're they would have. That's why they're trying to do it on this federal level because if it's if it's not uh, the, the, with the decriminalization and stuff like that, it's sort of this weird uh, counter to the federal policy. But if it becomes my understanding, and I could be completely wrong, if it changes um, its legal classification on a federal level, then right. I think that goes across all states, unless one state particularly is, is super against it. But I think um, if it does do that, and then it's rescheduled to something that can actually be prescribed on the VA, then that should uh, be available across the US. Um, so I mean, you, you're already in Canada, the Canada VA Unfortunately, well, fortunately for them, unfortunately for us, has already been um, giving reimbursements for for cannabis for veterans for the past few years. So cool! Thank you. And you know, we the the UN. I mean, this was a big week all the way around for for cannabis. I mean, you know, the UN uh, now considers cannabis as medicine, and then our house, you know, is saying voted in this historic vote today. So we would just you know love to see that that the plant medicines that we know. Um, work for so many uh, veterans and just that patients in general um, won't be listed as a drug this way anymore. I mean, we really need to be able to, you know, make it more affordable and have better access and, and especially to see veterans that cannot afford medical cannabis and are forced to go back on opioids because that's what they can get from the VA. I mean, it's always, it's been heartbreaking to see some of those things happen. So we're hoping that with the world thinking about cannabis a bit differently, and now, you know, with this vote happening today, that maybe, you know, the, the stigmas will start changing a bit, and that maybe people will be more open-minded to how plant medicines could, could assist um, people, because we, we think it's coming. It's just hopefully um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, and you have what you have going on in, in Oregon is not only do they do they decriminalize uh, substances across the board, but they're also uh, passed a resolution to where people will be able to, in the coming year, uh, go to licensed places and use psilocybin therapy. So that's it's already changing in terms of uh, in terms of our approach to it, and Oregon will be a, a very good indicator of how other states, but. In my view, that that's the that's a very common sense sort of thing. Is that if you do have a drug problem, it should not be um, should not necessarily send you in jail unless you do something. It's 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 obviously an addiction problem. It's it's other mental health problems, and so decriminalizing it allows you to address it as a mental health issue and not as a criminal issue. So right. So right. And, and your work is just means so much to so many. And we want to make sure that if we have veterans that are listening, that they can know how they could potentially get signed up with Heroic Hearts um, and how all of our listeners, um, if you can let us know how we can donate and help support your organization. Of course. Um, yeah. So for, for veterans that are listening, we have an application. If you just go on our website, heroicheartsproject.org. Uh, there's a veteran sign-up tab, uh, and you can go there, fill out the application. It goes on our waiting list. And obviously, COVID has, has sort of uh, messed up the schedule, but it is looking early next year. We are going to be able to start doing a lot of retreats. We already have a few booked. 
And so we'll put you on the waiting list and then you'll receive emails about when our next offerings are and, and all the qualifications. Uh, we also have an ambassador program for veterans, civilians, professionals who just want to help. They don't necessarily know how, but they want to lend some time and, and, and their voice. And so uh, people can sign up for that on the ambassadors and we're, it's still new. And so we're trying to figure out how to empower people, but it's, it's all about getting everybody who wants to help together and rebuilding these communities. Um, and as you said, uh, we are a nonprofit. So donations really need mean a lot to us. It's our ability to send veterans. And as I said, it goes directly to the veterans. So on that same website, heroicheartsproject.org, there's a donate uh, tab on the t upper right and you can donate in whatever means you have. Um, and we also are on all the social media. So Instagram's our main one. Uh, so just search for Heroic Hearts Project. And I'm sure through after all of that, you can, you can find the way to, to where to help out. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jesse. Thank you so much for, for having me and, and for giving me the platform and, and you know, talking with me a little bit today. Absolutely. You're doing amazing work at Heroic Hearts Project, and we just appreciate so much of your time and then also what you're doing for our community. So thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today on The Vine, a plant media project podcast. Be sure to subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. And for cannabis and psychedelic news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. Mm -hmm.